As I mentioned, the focus of our study this evening is on the topic of maturity. The topic of maturity. And it immediately raises a, an observation that I think all of us would share, is that as we look at perhaps even our own lives, but especially as we look at younger generations, there seems to be this, this strong obstacle to the process of maturation in our lives. We face it on a daily basis. There is a steady stream pushing against us, pushing against forward movement, and we find that to mature, to grow older in the faith, to grow wiser, to grow more faithful in the faith is not an easy task. In fact, we sang that song at the beginning of our time, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? That song by Isaac Watts that even in his day expressed that important question. Am I a soldier of the cross? It is easy to play at Christianity, but what about the serious call to take up the cross and to follow Christ, to put on the armor, and to engage in the ministry that the Lord has entrusted to all of us, to battle sin, to pursue Christ-likeness, all of that is a very difficult endeavor, and we find that it is much easier just to put things on pause or to coast, to, to remain where we're at and just be satisfied with that, it was an uh, American poet by the name of Ogden Nash who expressed this in terms of just the secular life, but he expressed this, this sentiment that we find even in the church, we find even in our own lives. He said this, you are only young once, but you can stay immature indefinitely. And that is something that we struggle with. We struggle with this contentment with remaining where we're at. This this nonchalant attitude to the Christian life and what is responsible or what responsibilities lie on our shoulders. And this certainly is a sentiment that is not just here that we might express ourselves, but it is all around us in the culture. In fact, this past week I read an article that was written back in 2003 by Terrace O. Moore called Wimps and Barbarians, the Sons of Murphy Brown. And I want to read to you some of this article as he writes about the problem of men today and especially the problem of young men and and even more so the problem of of young boys and and how they're being raised today and and this perpetual immaturity that marks so many men in our culture. And we're going to draw from this the reality that it marks so many men in the church as well. Let me read some sections from his article that really pinpoint the prevalence of immaturity among men today. He he says this, and I'm just reading through select portions that really summarize the main part of his argument. He says this, Manhood is not simply a matter of being male and reaching a certain age. These are acts of nature. Manhood is a sustained act of character. It is no easier to become a man than it is to become virtuous. In fact, the two are the same. The root of our old-fashioned word virtue is the Latin word virtus, a derivative of vir, or man. To be virtuous is to be manly. But too often among today's young males, the extremes seem to predominate. One extreme suffers from an excess of manliness, he goes on to say, or from misdirected and unrefined manly energies. The other extreme 
from a lack of manliness, a total want of manly spirit. Call them barbarians and wimps. So prevalent are these two errant types that the prescription for what ails our young males might be reduced to two simple injunctions. Don't be a barbarian and don't be a wimp. Today's barbarians are not hard to find. Like the barbarians of old, the new ones wander about in great packs. You can recognize them by their dress, their speech, their amusements, their manners, and their treatment of women. The ancient barbarians did little except to fight and to hunt, and the modern barbarians do little besides play sports and pursue women. To be sure, they have other amusements, But these activities do not, as a rule, require sensibility or thought. Those are the barbarians, he says. They're they're marked by this crudeness. You can hear them in the restrooms, the guffawing, the senseless speech, often filled with a lot of crass language. They're the barbarians, he describes. He goes on to say this, at the other extreme from true manliness is the wimp. Wimps are in many ways the opposite of the barbarians. We would be mistaken, however, to classify wimps as simply young men without muscle. He says, my father used to tell me that when I was growing up, it is not the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog that matters. Many of today's young men seem to have no fight in them at all. Not for them to rescue damsels in distress from the barbarians. Furthermore, wimps boat. As Aristotle pointed out, to the cowardly, bravery will seem more like rashness and foolhardiness than what it really is. Hence, political and social issues that require bravery for their solution, elicit only hand-wringing and half-measures from the wimps. Wimps are always looking for the easy way out. And then he says this, and I'll quote this as the summary of his, le- of his article. He said, quote, a close look at the culture in which boys are raised reveals not only that they are no longer encouraged to become vigorous and responsible men, but also that practically every factor affecting their development is profoundly hostile to the ideals and practices of traditional manhood and the painstaking steps necessary to attain it. The demanding regime of physical and moral instruction that used to turn boys into men, and the larger cultural forces that supported that instruction have been systematically dismantled by a culture that ostensibly enables all individuals, but in reality disables men. Now what Moore is talking about there is the problem that we see with young men today. They're either barbarians or they're wimps. They either only know how to go and, and, and play sports and pursue women, or on the other hand, they couldn't get themselves out of a problem if they tried. They're the kind that, that has to have the sympathy of women, the kind that has to have the sympathy of society and have to have everything given to them. That's the the, the two dilemmas, the two extremes of men today, and they're both trapped in this kind of immaturity, this inability to become virtuous, this inability to grow, to mature. We see that in society, and as I said, that influence of society certainly has its impact even on Christian men today. We have this perpetual immaturity that describes men who reach a certain level and just stay there. They don't continue. They don't press forward. They don't grow as they ought. The Bible speaks of this. 
And even as the topic, uh, the title of our topic this evening indicates, it's a, it's, a, it's a phrase taken out of Hebrews chapter 5, which says you ought to be teachers. The Bible very much puts forward the case that there is no basis to remain in immaturity. There's no basis to remain where you're at. There's, there's no basis on which to become content with your current spiritual state press the pause button, put your feet up, and just relax. Not at all. The Bible denounces that. In fact, I want to look at some texts this evening that will show the Bible's denunciation of immaturity. The Bible's perspective on the man who decides that whatever level he's achieved, it's enough. He can just put up his feet, and relax. Now certainly the Bible does indicate there are some virtues to be seen even among children. You could look at Matthew chapter 18, and and Jesus does say as he holds up a child, he he does say, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so certainly the child and that childlikeness in terms of this absolute faith and trust, is something that we are commended. There is, a, there is an example, a model there, that, that we can implement even as adults. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, for example, the Apostle Peter does say to, to his, his readers, he does say that, that we are to long for the pure milk of the Word like newborn babes having that singular focus, that driving desire, that consuming hunger is, is a good picture in terms of our need for Scripture and, and giving us that model for God's Word. But beyond that, the Scripture does not in any way hold up immaturity as a place to dwell. You could look at the Old Testament, for example. Remember this from our study last year as we spent the year in the book of Proverbs. Immaturity for the book of Proverbs was a major, a major concern. In fact, if you look at the word youth, naive one, simple one, fool, all of those terms which we find throughout the book of Proverbs are descriptive of an immature man. A man who still acts like a child, still thinks like a child, still talks like a child, still walks like a child. In fact, you look at the opening verses of Proverbs, Proverbs 1 verses 1 to 6, and and you see that the whole book has been compiled specifically to help those caught in immaturity. Even just a few reminders from the book help us recognize the denunciation that Scripture has for the immature man. Proverbs 1, verse 22, we read these words, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. That's the barbarian right there. That's the, the one who has no hunger, no stomach for truth, and instead just always wants to have fun. Or Proverbs chapter 9, verse 6, where the call is made as follows, Forsake your folly and live. Proceed in the way of understanding. The exhortation is is issued to the immature one. The one whose, whose age is far above his level of wisdom. And the call is made to forsake that immaturity. But that was not just a problem for the youths in Solomon's day. We, we see when we turn to the New Testament that immaturity was a problem in the church as well. It's a problem of, of men in that day as much as it is in ours. And we could look, for example, at the, the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was a, an immature church. In fact, an important text is found for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Verses 1 to 4, we, we have Paul at this point in his letters, letter as he begins to address 
the immaturity of the Corinthian church, he, he begins with these words. 1 Corinthians 3, 1-4. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For one says, I am of Paul, and the other, I am of Apollos. And are you not mere men? We see in this text that Paul contrasts two group of, of men. He, he refers to spiritual men. These are the men who are mature. The spiritual men are the men that if we look at Paul's writings, we see that these are the men who walk according to the rule of the Spirit. They are those who have exercised discipline in their lives, who have not been content with the level of, of, of growth that they've seen, but continue to press forward. They are the spiritual men. And Paul says, I, w- I w- would like to speak to you as spiritual men. But he says, I've got to address you as men of flesh. Now the term for flesh there is not the same term that we find back in chapter 2 verse 14. If you look back at chapter 2 verse 14, we've looked at that text already several weeks ago, but back in chapter 2 verse 14, Paul described the natural man. And he says that the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. He's speaking in 2.14 of the unbeliever. But here in chapter 3, he uses a different term. It's not the natural man. It's the man of flesh. And what he means by that is a man who is still being influenced in a major way, a significant way, by his unredeemed flesh. By his desires of the flesh. His thoughts. His ambitions of the flesh. That he is still dominated in many ways in in his thinking and in his behavior, in his speech. By the flesh. Walking according to its desires. And Paul says, I've got to address you brothers as men of the flesh. These are immature men. And he uses the analogy here that men of the flesh, the immature man, still must be given milk. He cannot take solid food. Now even in the world at large, there there was this analogy that if all you can handle is the milk, you are immature. If all you can handle is is the light food, you've not grown up. The wise, growing man, the one who is maturing, is the one who can handle the solid food. The more complex teachings, the more complex implementations of these teachings. And Paul says, you're not ready for that. I still have to feed you out of a bottle. And he explains specifically how this immaturity manifested itself. He said it it manifests itself in that particular section of his letter. He addresses the jealousy and the strife. Indeed, if we go back to the initial analogy, these are, at this point, the barbarians. You know, they're splitting up into clans in the church and thumping their chests, saying, we're better than you. They're the barbarians. They were the ones, these barbarians, these immature men, who were even, according to chapter 11, getting to the Lord's Supper early and then consuming all the food, all the the bread and the wine before the whole church was gathered and getting drunk. They're the barbarians. But there were also wimps in this church, wimpy men. You could look at chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, and you could see there that the church was afraid to deal with sin. 
Some horrible sin that you can read of in in chapter 5. And and the men in that church were were too weak. They they were the wimps that could not find a a, a solution to the problem. And all they could do was wring their hands and, and maybe even applaud. This was a church that was full of immature men. Paul is going to bring up this analogy of of childishness and maturity a little bit later on. And in chapter 13, he's going to refer to this picture again, and he's going to say this, when I was a child, I I used to to speak like a child. I I used to think like a child. I used to reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. And he uses that as an analogy here of the natural growth of maturation that is to take place in life. In Paul's thinking, there is no place for for someone remaining perpetually immature in the faith. That goes against all of nature. God has programmed that even into the development of the human body, that it is not to remain immature. It is... To mature. And in the same way, Paul says that the human body just naturally grows and matures, so also that is to be replicated in our spiritual lives. There was another church that had a problem with immaturity. In fact, it was even more serious than in the Corinthian church, and that is the church that is addressed in the letter to the Hebrews. Here we find another denunciation of immaturity. A very strong criticism of of immaturity, of remaining at the same level and and not growing. And this is what we find in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. Listen to these words. Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. Concerning Him, that is a reference to Jesus as the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And so in the preceding context, the writer is dealing with a quote from Psalm 110 and is discussing the implications of the great work and the great character of Jesus Christ. So he says this in this paragraph as he, as he pauses from that discussion and he says this in, in chapter 5, verse 11, concerning him, concerning Jesus, we have much to say and it is hard to explain. But, but pause there for just a moment and, 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 and think, okay, why might this be hard to explain? Well, he gives the answer. He says, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, and because of practice, they have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now, we don't have time to go deep into this text. I want to make a few observations before we spend some extended time on on thinking through how to grow from immaturity to maturity. But a few observations are warranted here. He says you're dull of hearing. The the idea there is laziness. Sluggishness. Specifically, a lack of responsiveness. a, A failure to be energized by. And if you want a picture of immaturity that's it right there and that's the picture of the immature one in the book of proverbs all those times when the the fool the youth the simple one is called upon to hear not just in terms of that audible response but in terms of listening and contemplating but the writer of hebrews says you have become dull of hearing that is a classic manifestation of immaturity A lack of responsiveness. You can hear great truth. You can hear the the, the simplicity of the gospel proclaimed or a a great 
profound sermon on the doctrine of the Trinity, and either one of those will elicit no response or very little from you. That's dullness of hearing, laziness, sluggishness. And of course, we all struggle with that. That's all, always what our flesh wants to, to impose upon us, wants to make us sleepy to these things. John Calvin, writing about this, wrote as follows. He said, this happens partly through our dullness and partly through our sloth. For though we are very dull to understand the truth of God, yet there is to be added to this vice the depravity of our affections. For we apply our minds to vanity rather than to God's truth. We are also continually impeded either by our own perverseness or by the cares of the world or or by the lusts of the flesh. Calvin put his finger on the great problem, the, the reason for our sluggishness, the reason why we can hear great preaching and, and be immoved, why we can fail to be energized by the, the beautiful preaching of, of Jesus Christ dying for our sins and rising for our justification to, to more profound realities of the doctrine of justification and imputation. And, and we hear those things and, and, and we kind of just yawn. And we just move on to the next thought. Now, coming back to Hebrews chapter 5, the writer goes on to say this. He says, for by this time, you, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be teachers. The, the verb that's used there for ought has the idea of, of being under moral obligation. It's a stewardship. It's a responsibility that having heard the truth so many times, th- there is this necessity, this, this moral obligation that you should be one now who can explain these things. And meanwhile, he's writing to the Hebrews, you've heard these things so many times, you can't even explain the fundamentals. That's immaturity. You ought to be teachers. And, and this is not just a, a, a warning, a denunciation against pastors in the church or leaders in the church. He's addressing the entire church. All who hear the truth, who are exposed to the truth, come under this moral obligation to, to, to internalize that truth and then to pass it on. And we find that, for example, in, in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, where, where Paul gives this command, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Same verb that's used there for teaching as in Hebrews. You ought to be teachers. It is our duty, having heard the truth for for so long, to to be able to pass these truths on to others. But the inability to do so is a great sign of immaturity. In fact, the irony of this all, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, is that while you should be teaching... While you should be able to explain these things to others, you still need someone to, to, to teach you. And in fact, he says you need someone to teach you the elementary principles. And the word that's used there in this context is a term for the ABCs, the most fundamental principles or components of learning. You, you've heard the truth so many times. You, you've sat under teaching so many times, and yet if you're asked, you you can't even articulate it. In fact, truth be told, the writer of Hebrews says, you need somebody to start with you from square one. This is immaturity. He goes on to use that that same analogy that Paul used in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, you have come to need milk and not solid food. You've regressed. You received all this milk all along and you have so many, so many hours of instruction. And yet, when it comes right down to it, you still need to go back to the basics and hear the very same ABCs. That's the problem of immaturity. And in the case of the this congregation that the writer of Hebrews addresses, this is evidence even 
of the potential that they were never saved in the first place. The writer of Hebrews is going to go on in chapter 6 to describe that they've tasted of this fruit and yet they've walked away. They learned only temporarily. It never stuck. They heard it so many times and and, and yet when it came right down to it, they never believed it, couldn't articulate it, couldn't live it out. It's the danger of, of immaturity. So now just having done a, a very brief survey of those two texts in particular, 1 Corinthians 3 and Hebrews chapter 5, what I want to do in the time remaining is, is, is take you through a, a series of rules. And I say rules not because I want to be legalistic here, but I want to use this term rule in terms of disciplines. Rules for life. How can we keep from stagnation? How can we keep from either remaining a barbarian or a wimp? How can we grow out of those states of immaturity? What are some things at a practical level that we can implement in our lives that will show we take responsibility, we, we don't blame it on anyone else, but we realize that, that this, is, this is our responsibility to grow. Now indeed, we must keep mindful that it is God who causes the growth. Paul even said that to the Corinthians You know, he just watered, but it's God who causes the growth. And he says it clearly in Philippians chapter 2, that it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good purposes. We must understand that all true growth is only enabled by him. But nonetheless, Paul goes goes to say, right before that reality in Philippians chapter 2, that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We are to relate to our spiritual growth with all sobriety. It is to be the, the top priority in our thinking. Yes, we are 100% dependent upon the Lord that He would bring this growth into place in our lives. We must recognize that it is He who does this energizing, who causes life to come forth and brings fruitfulness and success. We must affirm that. Yet at the same time, we must take it upon ourselves by His wisdom and strength to work this out in our own lives. And what we're talking about here, what I want to emphasize is is establishing a a set of rules. Again, not legalism, but a set of principles, a pattern of discipline in your life that will kickstart your growth out of immaturity and toward maturity. One writer in describing it puts it this way, and I think he captures this well when he says this, we must lay claim to our life before the other things lay claim to it for us. This is the nature of a rule, a set of disciplines, decisions, or impositions we make on our life in order to prevent the tyranny of the urgent from stealing away the time. So what are, what are rules? What are patterns that we can implement that will help us? And I want to give you seven of these. Seven of these, and they're really practical, and I trust that they'll be helpful. Many of you will be able to say, this is what has already been implemented in my life. I know you, many of you men, and you're, you're examples of this, and, and I want to encourage you that as you see these things bearing fruit in your life, talk to others. Explain how this works to others. And yet there are some of you who are still at that rudimentary level, and you're wondering, how can I get out of my malaise? How can, how can I stop being this barbarian or this wimp and, and grow in maturity? Well, the first one I want to emphasize is this, listen. This is the first rule of growth. Listen. Listen. Notice immaturity is characterized by a casual, inattentive response to teaching. 
You can always tell that if you're a teacher in the classroom. You can tell that if you're a teacher in the Bible study. You know the immature person because he's visibly daydreaming. Or he's snoring or, you know, whatever it may be. Unattentive. That's a mark of immaturity. But immaturity is also marked by this kind of itchy ear syndrome. That if it's something that you want to listen to, you perk up. Oh, he used an analogy of, of football. And then all of a sudden you listen. But then as soon as that's over, you go back to your daydreaming. That's what marks immaturity. And we have all been there. We all know what that is. Therefore, in light of that, the, the most repeated call in the book of Proverbs is to listen. Over and over in the book of Proverbs, that, that exhortation to the son is to listen. Hear my words. Hear my words. Don't just hear them even, but pay attention. Even in Hebrews. Hebrews deals with this directly as well. If you look at the letter, you, you know that several times the writer quotes from Psalm 95 and, and where it says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, again, as, as the writer is dealing with immaturity in the church, he writes, For this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Now, paying attention is not a gift. It's, it's not a personality trait. It's a discipline. It's a habit. It, it must be cultivated. Some of you may be thinking, well, I, I have a hard time listening to sermons. Other people don't because I have ADD. And they don't. They were born able to listen. That's not true. You may very well have ADD. We all do. We all have attention deficit disorder. It's called the flesh. That's what it is. We must acknowledge we have it and realize that the response to it is is not just to excuse yourself from listening, but it is to discipline your listening. Now, let me give you a, a recommendation here. There is a book called Expository Listening by Ken Ramey. If you find yourself struggling with immaturity and struggling with this first rule in particular, this is a book that I I, I recommend that you buy. It's called Expository Listening. And in the very front part of that book, there's a statement that really summarizes what's at stake. We read this, merely hearing a sermon is easy. It requires a properly functioning auditory system, but it's essentially a passive exercise. Actively listening to the preaching of God's Word requires mental alertness, focused attention, and a spiritually receptive heart. So how do you listen? How do you listen actively? How do you listen well? How can you develop this discipline? Let me give you just a few quick follow-up suggestions on here. Number one, get good sleep on Saturday nights. Get good sleep. If you're serious about growth and you're serious about, about maturity, then you will get the sleep you need so you can be alert on Sunday morning and you can listen. Take notes. Take notes. Bring along a notepad or take notes in your Bible. But use that extra activity to keep you focused on what you're hearing. Pray. Pray that the Lord would keep all these distracting thoughts from you and that He would keep you focused on the the ministry of the Word. Follow the references that the preacher gives as he works through the Word. Flip through the pages of your Bible as you hear him quote different texts. Listen, follow, read. Thomas Watson said this, when we come to the Word preached, we come to a matter of the highest importance. Therefore, we should, we should stir up ourselves and hear with the greatest devotion. And I, what I want you to do tonight and over this next week, even before your small group fellowship next week, Wednesday, is think through 
the steps you need to take to become a better listener. This is where it begins. Focus first on how you will listen better to Sunday sermons when all of God's people are joined together for the Lord's Day. And and then also think about Bible studies and, and other opportunities even here on Wednesday nights. How can you become a better listener? If you're serious about growth, you're going to think through that. And you're going to come up with those practical steps to increase that discipline. Number two, read. Read. If you're going to grow, you've got to read. And of course, we know that immaturity is, is, is characterized by this quest to always put the mind at ease. Hey, you think of the, 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 uh, either the barbarian or the wimp, and, and the mind is disengaged. It's, it's all about entertainment and alleviation rather than engagement. But leaders are readers. Mature men are readers. They're thinkers. They have developed their minds to think actively. And there, is, there are few things that can do this like reading. One writer says this, Reading a book requires a degree of engagement, of active attention that enlivens and expands the mind. Electronic media, think of the TV or the computer screen. Electronic media makes far fewer demands. It breeds passive participation. It fosters shorter attention spans and creates the demand for immediate gratification. Neil Postman, in the popular book he wrote about the problems of entertainment in American culture, it's called Amusing Ourselves to Death, he he describes reading this way and explains why it's so difficult for men to read, he says this, quote, the reader must come armed in a serious state of intellectual readiness. This is not easy because he comes to the text alone. In reading, one's responses are isolated, one's intellect thrown back on its own resources. To be confronted by the cold abstractions of printed sentences is to look upon language bare, without the assistance of either beauty or community. Thus, reading is by nature a serious business. It is also, of course, an essentially rational activity. The, the, the way to grow out of immaturity is to begin to exercise your mind in this manner. Begin by establishing for yourself a very, a very well-thought set plan for reading the Bible especially reading the Bible in large chunks, but also spending regular times when you dive deep in particular texts. You should have a plan for reading through the Bible. If you're serious about growth, if you're serious about moving from immaturity to maturity, this has to be part of that. Read beyond the Bible as well. Read other books that deal with Christian teaching. God has given to the church pastors and teachers, and their ministry of teaching is, is not only through, through spoken sermons, but it is also through books, printed sermons. So have a plan. If you want to grow, if you're serious about leaving immaturity behind, you should all have a plan for, for reading. A, a project that will, will always keep you occupied. Some further Suggestions here, as you put together a plan for reading, a, a, a more aggressive plan to read more in the weeks and, and months to come, think of, of having different kinds of books on your, your, your list and, and on the table that you can alternate between to keep your mind sharp. So perhaps right now you're reading a book on theology or doctrine, a book about the Trinity. And then next you could read a biography of, of, a, of a great Christian leader or a, an era of church history. And then you could look at something dealing with contemporary issues and how the Bible speaks into the issues we are facing today. And, and then perhaps something dealing more specifically with Christian discipline and, and personal growth and, and, and move beyond these different genres these different topics keep these books visible 
and keep them accessible. That's why it's good to have actual printed books. Sometimes if they're just hidden away and as a digital copy in your computer or your phone, you use the computer and the phone to do so many other things, you forget the book is there. But when the book is lying on the, the bedside table or it's on your desk or it's on the kitchen table, it reminds you, hey, there's some reading to do today. Keep it accessible. Bring it with you in your car. Have some books in your car so that if you're stuck somewhere and, and, and you have some downtime, you don't just sit there listening to the radio, but you can open up and, and read. Keep the books accessible and visible. Ask other mature men for recommendations. You might be thinking, where do I begin? And, and the answer to that is go and ask someone who you know is reading and, and has grown and ask that man, hey, what has been helpful for you? Or perhaps you have an interest. You want to learn more about the Trinity. Or you want to learn more about defending the faith or evangelism. Or you want to know more about the Puritans. Go and ask someone who's been reading and say, give me the best title on that book and then go get it. And also write in your books. Your books aren't intended to be heirlooms. They're not intended to to be kept in pristine condition for you to someday give away to a thrift store. Use a pen and a highlighter, a pencil, and mark it up. You bought it. It belongs to you. So do what it takes to keep the attentiveness, to underline and highlight words, to write your own notes. All of those things help keep you alert. Number three, Learn. Learn. Study. Immaturity is characterized by the illusion of mastery. I already know that. Or the illusion of irrelevance. I don't need that. That is the mark of a, an immature man. And, and this ignorance only breeds further immaturity. But, but as we read in the Scriptures, such as in 2 Peter chapter 3, we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Peter states that specifically in the context where he has said that in Paul's letters, there are some hard things to understand. And, and Peter says that there are some who twist what Paul has written. But, but Peter doesn't turn around and say, therefore, you don't need to worry about those sections. No, he says specifically, go and study them. The, the twisted man, the, the immoral man, will we'll abuse those portions that are hard to understand in Scripture. Your response is to dig down deep and to study and to grow. So take advantage. Take advantage of opportunities to learn. This, this generation right here, this, this era of men has access to training opportunities unparalleled in the entire history of man and, and of the church. You have such access to good teaching, courses that have been made available online for free, and classes that are available in, 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 in churches that offer this good instruction. Let me give you two examples of this. One would be a, a, a ministry that we have already promoted here in Men of the Word. It's called the Institute of, of Church Leadership. You can... You can uh, to, to create, you can create an account with this, this ministry, and, and it has around 30 different 10-hour courses on everything related to the New Testament, to hermeneutics, the Old Testament, biblical counseling, the Reformation, church history, all kinds of things. You can enroll, and then you can, can receive this training online at your own leisure. Or enroll in something like Grace Equip. Here on campus, we have a, a training ministry that offers classes continually. They sometimes meet Tuesday nights, sometimes Wednesday nights, sometimes Thursday nights. And a whole host of classes are constantly being offered. And you can, you can, you, you can join those classes for a minimal price and commit to a, a, a number of weeks and, and learn some, some meaty doctrine. Number four, integrate. Integrate. 
Immaturity is characterized by the, the practice of keeping distant. Keeping distant. Keeping unaccountable. You can always, you can always tell that in a man. If he's struggling and, and you ask him about his spiritual life and, and then you start asking him, well, what's your involvement in the church? So often you find the corollary, the connection. They're on the periphery. You see, immaturity thrives on the periphery, just outside of the accountability of a local church. So in response to this, if you want to grow and, and you're not a church member yet, let me, be, let me be clear, you need to become a church member. Why aren't you? Why, why have you not committed? That refusal to commit and to associate and integrate will only perpetuate the the immaturity that's there. Life is too short and the world is too dangerous and your soul is too precious to just play at it. Join the church. It's a very serious step to, to growth. Joel Beakey says this, association promotes assimilation. A Christian who lives in isolation from other believers will fail to receive the blessings as well as the maturity resulting from godly interaction. Become a member and, and then number five, serve. Again, immaturity is characterized by an approach to life which, which views self as the center of the universe. Immature people want to be served. They may even join the church, but when they do, they want the church to serve them. That's immature. Immaturity looks for, for what others can do for me. How others need to make me feel good here. How others need to meet my needs. That's all immature. In response, we, we, we need to consider how maturity requires sacrifice. It requires service. It requires putting others as the center of our focus. In fact, we saw the exact opposite in 1 Corinthians 3. What was the mark of immaturity there? It was factions. Everyone thumping their own chest saying, I'm of this group, look at me. But instead, we must consider the service of others. Pastor John says this, selfishness is one telltale sign of immaturity. Babies are completely self-centered. They scream if they don't get what they want when they want it. All they are aware of are their own needs and desires. They never say thanks for anything. They can't help others. They can't give anything. They can only receive. So how do you counter that in your own life? Your flesh wants this as a lifestyle, but how do you counter that? Well, just a couple of quick pointers here. Number one, proactively seek service opportunities. Go and ask. Don't wait for it to fall into your lap. Ask your pastor of your fellowship group, your Bible study leader. Ask, how can I help? Is there anything I can do? Embrace the small things, the simple things. Don't begrudge the day of small beginnings. It, it, often we as men, we want something grandiose. But ministry happens in, in the small places, in, in those places behind the curtain, the behind the scenes where, where not everybody's looking and, and there, there, there's an opportunity to minister in a, in a very plain, simple way that glorifies Christ. Be willing to do what no one else wants to do. Be willing to do those, those unlikable things. Maybe it's carrying out the trash, setting up tables or chairs, staying late or coming earlier to set up the sound. Whatever that is, look for what those Look for those opportunities that no one else wants to do. Follow instructions. When you ask, what can I do? And you're given instructions. A way to move from immaturity to maturity is to be one who can follow the directions. And then as you do, and perhaps maybe as you, you stumble and you receive correction, receive it with humility, be grateful for it, and apply it. Follow through what you have promised and finish what you start. Those are very important indicators of a maturing faith. And do it all to the glory of God and not your own. Number six, strain. 
Adults is really important for maturation. Immaturity is characterized by an aversion to all things difficult. Immature men don't want to work hard. They want the easy way. Whatever's going to get them home fastest, whatever will get them through the day easiest, whatever will make things most comfortable, that's what marks an immature man. But when we read of mature men like the Apostle Paul, we see that he was committed to doing what was difficult. 1 Corinthians 9, he describes his, his, his own rule of life. He says, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I've, been, after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Do increasingly hard things. Do increasingly hard things. And that relates to ministry. That relates to your own walk with Christ. That relates to your own giving. That relates to your own marriage. That relates to your own parenting. That relates to your own witness in the, in the workplace. Have it before you that you will do increasingly hard things. Too many men just want the easy way. And they're wimps. Do the kind of hard things that that make you into that seasoned soldier of the cross. And finally, depend. Immaturity is characterized by independence and self-sufficiency. But we must remember that it is God who is at work within us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So as you do all of these things, as you listen and as you read and as you learn, as you integrate and serve and strain all along the way, be sure that you are consciously relying and depending upon the God who works and wills. Cultivate that conscious reliance upon the Holy Spirit in your life. And you do that by this constant prayer, knowing that it is God who energizes, and this constant thanksgiving that says that if there's anything good that comes, if any growth, if any fruitfulness, it is all because of Him. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. But as Paul says, I can labor and toil, Colossians 1.28, using the power of the One who is at work within me. Let me close with the words of Jerry Bridges on this particular point. He said this, as a young Christian, I had the idea that all I had to do was live a holy life and, and, and I'd find out from the Bible all that God wanted me to do and just go do it. But Christians with maturity will smile at this naive assumption. But I see younger Christians starting off with the same air of self-confidence. We have to learn that we are dependent upon the enabling power of the Holy Spirit to attain any degree of holiness. Then as we look to Him, we will see Him working in us, revealing our sin, creating a desire for holiness, and giving us the strength to respond to Him in obedience. Men, what I want you to do this coming week, and even in preparation for the small group time that you have next week, extended small group time, is to take these seven rules, to come up with a plan in each one of these areas that you will implement in the days ahead and the weeks ahead. And discuss that with each other in the context of your small groups. Encourage each other. Give each other counsel and commit to each other that you will help and hold accountable so that you can help your brother grow by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, indeed, apart from your strength, we can do nothing. And so as we consider the the, the challenges of this life and the obstacles we face put in front of us by our flesh, by the world, by the enemies of our souls, we, we see the difficult path that is ahead. We confess that the, the easy way is, is just to coast, 
just to be happy with where we're at. But Father, we pray you would convict us and put within us a, a passion to grow. A discontentment with what we've already experienced. And a passion, a drive to, to press it further. To learn more of Christ. To be more useful in His hands for His purposes. To, to excel still more in, in pleasing you with, with our actions in our families, in our homes, and at work, in our neighborhood, in our church. But as we ask for these things, we do pray that you would purify our motives so that we would not do these things so that we would take glory in it for ourselves. But rather, our glory would be in seeing the, the precious power of your Spirit at work within us, transforming us day by day from glory to glory into the likeness of Christ so that He would be center and those who look upon our lives would see Him and would glorify Him. That is our prayer. Make it our motivation and bring these things to pass, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.